As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Let's take just a minute to discuss motorsports insurance, specifically Larisse motorsports insurance. If you're anything like me, you know of someone, uh, whether it's a friend, someone within your racing family that has lost everything, whether that be through or everything racing related, whether that be via fire or theft, highway accident, on-track accident. And if you're anything like me, you've also realized that you have a significant portion of your net worth tied up in your racing equipment. Maybe more than we would like to admit, right? This is, after all, our passion, and it can become a bit of a money pit. What you may not know is that there are options to insure your racing equipment, race cars, trailers, support equipment, both on the track and off, and that doing so is not as costly as you might expect. To do that for me personally, I chose... Larisse Motorsports Insurance. They're a great company offering an excellent product and they stand behind it. Now, I've been so impressed with Larisse and their commitment to excellence in this regard that we've partnered with them through thisisbracketracing.com. Our own team member, Ashley Thompson, is a licensed broker for Larisse Motorsports Insurance. If this is something that you would entertain, that you would like to know more about and or get a quote for your particular application, Contact us, go to thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote, and Ashley will get back in touch with you. Again, that is thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes discuss Mike Rice and Chet Dragon. Big Jed, speaking of Chet Dragon, had a chance to listen to that the other day. Awesome interview discussion with the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. Well, thank you, Luke. But you obviously, you know, you've done enough. You know, when your when your subject is the most intriguing subject in racing, it makes your interview very easy. And Chet is uh, is a guy we all admire and appreciate. So anything he says was like, you know, listen to that Dosecki's guy. It's just it's just interesting. Exactly I love it, man. I, I appreciate it. It was a blast. No, it was. And it, it honestly, I don't know what where you were at coming in. It, it was not what I expected. Like, he's a, I knew he was a really down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, but he was really well-spoken and had an awesome story. Like, I thought it was great. I, uh, Mark can tell you, uh, I was concerned. I wasn't sure exactly what we were going to get with Chet, but I couldn't agree more. Very well-spoken, a guy that obviously knows how to race but knew the game a little better than i anticipated i mean the guy's been around a long time really understands what's happening out there in tune to what is going on in the the big buck world you know uh, you know i kind of i let myself believe chet just found out about a big race <laughs> I, it, but that really wasn't the case <laughs> stupidly i think i was of the same <laughs> same belief yes i, I understand yeah, no, he's in tune to what's happening. He knows where the good races are, and he's planning on doing more of them, so that's cool. Yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it, thought it was great, and thought it was a great way to to cap our recent 2019 discussions, because Scotty Bodmer was awesome, Mitchell McKinney was awesome, and obviously Chet Dragon takes the cake. So if you, if you haven't heard any of those episodes, go back and check them out. Jed, it's been nearly a month since we got to talk together here on the podcast. And this brings, obviously, our last podcast of 2019. This is our last episode. No show next week. Obviously, enjoy your holidays. We'll be back when the calendar turns to 2020. And this is our opportunity. We, we do this each year. I don't know if we've done it every year. We've done it for the last two. To just kind of look back and recap the 2019 season with the idea being not so much right now in the moment, but when we look back on 2019, five years from now, 10 years from now, what's the narrative? Like, what are we going to remember from this year? And we try to encapsulate that in two simple topics. Number one, what was the biggest story of 2019? Lasting story that we'll remember. And who was the most impressive driver of 2019 when we look back on this? And I I think both are interesting and probably more wide open than ever this year, Jed. Let's start off on the story side with a big story that I feel like, I don't want to say it's gone under the radar. It hasn't gotten the attention that I thought it would. And it literally came to light within a day or two of the last time that you and I were together about a month ago when we released a pod. And that was the retirement, fairly abrupt retirement of one David Rampey. I know that's near and dear to your heart. So speak on 
Rambo's legacy and I don't want to call it a shock to the racing world, but this breaking news that came out right after Pomona. Yeah, definitely not a shock, but it is a it is a blow to the sportsman racing pits. Look, you're talking about a legend in our sport. Rarely do we see an individual that has accomplished what David Rampey has accomplished, and you not hear that from the individual at any point in time in history. David's just not one to talk about what he's done. So in typical Rambo fashion, he rode off into the sunset from Pomona having not won a national event that year, going to the final, obviously had some disappointment, retired probably a little differently than he envisioned over those 30-some-odd years of racing. But I think he intentionally kept it quiet. Uh, David just not the kind of guy who wanted much attention for it. Certainly not somebody who wanted to talk about it a lot. Uh, we, he and I talked about it at the Million. He told me what he was going to do, and I asked him, David, how do you – how do you just do that? How do you be this successful over that period of time and just walk away? And he said, Jed, I don't know. He said, ask me in six months and, and I'll tell you. And I hope that it's certainly not the end for David. I would hope that we see him out with his boy, Chase, and hanging out the bracket races some. And I think he's left the door open to not own equipment any longer and, and have the burden financially and physically of preparing it and getting it to the races, but he would be open to, to wheel one for somebody. So hopefully we still see him uh, here and there get out to the racetrack. But all in all, just uh, a guy who's had the career that any racer dreams about from a success standpoint on the track, from a way to carry yourself on and off the track, build relationships with financial backers that want to help you get to the races just not because they think wind lights are going to shine a light on their product or service that they're offering but just because they freaking like you and they think the pits are better with you in them than they are without and to be able to do that for that period of time that he's done it is just truly amazing and uh, again a guy we all look up to and we're, we're certainly going to miss him in the pits yeah this is a guy for close to 40 years has just epitomized what it means to be a sportsman racer like he's the guy that we've all put on a pedestal and wished someday we could become he's paved the road for so many racers to to aspire to become what what he has and i don't know that anyone's actually done it to your point not a shock like david's no spring chicken and he even talked a year or two ago when he came on the podcast with us as to i don't know when the last last year is going to be you know it's it's not too too far off in the distance was the impression that you got but it's just one of those things from the outside. You just kind of assume it's never going to end. You know what I mean? When's the last time that you went to a national event or looked at the results and didn't see that name, right? Yep. And it's just, it's, it's going to be different. And to your point, uh, almost went out with the ultimate storybook ending. Like I had no idea when we were talking about his runner-up at Pomona that that was the, the quote-unquote last hurrah or appears to be the last hurrah. Uh, how fitting would it have been? for that to be 101 and he goes out as the champion that that we'll all remember him as and i guess to some extent it feels like the end of an era between rampy announcing retirement and um i don't know if you saw fletcher has announced and fletcher has announced that he will not be with pete next season and i i don't think it's the end for dan fletcher by any means but obviously pretty significant changes in his program i don't know exactly what's on tap there 
but they both said when they were on the podcast with us that as humbly as, as they would both say it, look, what we've done, like this 100-plus national event wins, that's never going to happen again. That You'll never see that because it's just a different time. It's a different atmosphere around sports racing. And I agree. I think they're 100% right. And I think this proves just the fact that they're both not necessarily out of racing but have have kind of turned the corner into whatever's next in their career. It's just we're never going to see anything like this again. Yeah, couldn't agree more and well said. All right, some other big stories for the year, Big Jed. What jumps out to you when you look back on 2019? I know we've talked about most of them here, so it's a little bit rehashing more than anything, but biggest stories of the year. Oh, Luke, uh, I mean, obviously there were some huge stories this year, and I, I don't know, they seem to get bigger and bigger every year, but... Let's uh, do this. Let's, let's try to, to bring up some of the big ones, you know, the, the nominees, so to speak, but let's actually save what you'll remember from 2019 and what I'll remember is like the standout stories. Let's save them for last. So let's roll through the nominees first. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the major, I'll, I'll start trying to do it chronologically as a, as I look over some of the things we've discussed, but. Oh, if you can do that, you're way more prepared than I am. Okay. Well, obviously the, the huge story to begin the year was what was available to the sportsman racer. Luke, it, it was, it was life changing money it was money we never dreamed someone would put up guaranteed you know regardless of how many cars showed up you're talking about two races that paid half a million or more and then you've got the spring fling million at 375 i believe the number was and you know the the original million guaranteeing a quarter meal regardless there's hundred thousand dollar races there's tons of 50 so i think the huge huge story going in is was still huge throughout the year and that was unbelievable money available up for grabs for the for the bracket racers this year no doubt that's actually my big takeaway so i'll circle back on that i think you got me messed up on chronology so i'm just going to throw one out there i don't i don't know where it fits in but uh your boy casey pesnell did break the internet and it might have been the most listened to episode that we had all year. So that was a pretty big deal. And there's a reason I'll save that one as well. Okay, okay. So we, we went ahead and we knocked those out. We'll circle back to both <laughs> of those. We dedicated the better part of an episode to this uh, conspiracy, like this hot topic of um, Chinese L's frame rail breaking in half at the fall fling. That created a lot of buzz. It, that, to me, is one of those things that three years ago, I don't think anybody's going to remember. But it was definitely the hot topic of the week, right? Oh, it was it was nuts and uh, had a ton of reaction. And obviously, you know, there were many people on both sides of that debate or argument or disagreement or whatever you'd call it. So very interesting topic that certainly was one of the, the largest of the year, if not the largest to some people. A huge story for the year that is not a pleasant one, but I, I think definitely rings the bell as something that we were all talking about, something that was on everyone's mind in the sportsman drag racing community really throughout 2019 for different reasons at various times is Kyle Seipel's battle with cancer. We had him on the podcast back in April, I believe, and it was a, it was a, a story of triumph you know, coming through that battle, basically being in remission, life is good. 
and then just a few short months later, uh, as we record this, Kyle is very much in the depths of that battle once again. And just that's a story in and of itself due to Kyle's immense popularity and reach. And the story to me, as we've talked about here on the show before, is just the it's no surprise, but to see the racing community rally together around one of their own and all of the things done to support Kyle financially, emotionally, just everything. It's so, it makes me so proud to be a part of the racing community. And it just, I I just think it epitomizes who we are and what we stand for. Yeah. Great points. You know, again, another one of the, the large, subjects or stories of the year that I feel more connected to than than I want to be and it's tough when you're you know want somebody that that I feel like I the way I feel about Kyle somebody that close to you that is twice in the same year kind of story of the year type stuff for this reason you know that's hard to deal with but as you said a story of triumph when we interviewed him uh, back in the spring, you know, had a huge year on the horizon with the spring fling million coming, uh, you know, a half a million at Bristol. His spirits were very high. He had, for all intents and purposes, um, conquered cancer and was uh, on the road to, you know, being getting some normalcy again. And then here you find out uh, around the fall that, back and you know it's pissed off and it's trying to take you down again I don't know where my spirits would be we've got I don't know I don't know if I've got the, the fortitude to to deal with it but it's unbelievable how high Kyle's spirit is how aggressive he is in terms of how he feels about beating it you know not just beating it, I'm gonna kick its ass uh just it's got to be a huge part of the recovery process. And um, I could only hope that, that I could be that strong and, and tough. And then when you start talking about the, the network of support around him, you know, I, I don't know who makes that kind of impact in people's lives to where that many people come together to do all they can to help you. I mean, Kyle's a truly unique individual. To know him is to love him. You can't dislike him. It's not possible. He doesn't allow it. And if he thought you did, he wouldn't quit until you did like him. And uh, it's showing the way people are rallying around him and, and all the great, not just people, companies. And I know companies are run by people, but these companies are helping individuals or are looking in their their checkbook and doing all they can to help. And it's truly inspiring to, to see what's going on. I, I hate that his two separate battles are story of the year type stuff, but in the whole scheme of things, I think it's bringing a lot of attention to what's most important in life. And it's definitely showing how the racing community rallies like no other. Uh, it's been been tough to watch but it's it's been joyful too to see how many people stepping up and doing what they can yeah i agree on on both fronts and and i think we can both agree the the reason that kyle is so like universally beloved but side note for all my life 
we've said beloved. And every time I hear that term now, it's beloved. So what is it? Yes. Okay. It's one of them. Back to it. Universally <laughs> beloved, Ed, Kyle Seipel. The reason for that is, and literally thousands of you listening can say the exact same thing, because if you have ever had a conversation with Kyle Seipel, you just feel listened to. Like, you just feel heard. He's very much there at all times. And that is a, particularly in this day and age, that is a very unique skill that many of us do not have. And case in point, just like you said, you're too close to this. I finally, I got the gumption up. I hadn't spoken with Kyle since the fall fling. I got the gumption up to call him a week or two ago. And it's... It's difficult. I even almost apologize for calling him because like, dude, I don't know what I'm going to say to you. And I don't like, I know that you probably get 20 of these calls every day of support. And to the point that that's probably overwhelming. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I just wanted to let you know that I'm thinking of you. And um, for a multitude of reasons, like I put off making that phone call. And within 10 minutes, it's Kyle asking, so what's going on in your life, man? What are you struggling with? The, the hell do you mean what am I struggling with? You know what I mean? Just, but that's Kyle, right? Yeah. And to your point, I'm sure I can only imagine that there are good days and bad, right? But I just, to your point, I don't seem to ever catch him on a bad day. And his spirit, his resolve, man, it, it was heartwarming, exciting. Like, and, and yeah, I mean, you would expect nothing less, but yeah, it, it's the way that he just, tackles life is awesome. I would have to assume that the, the mental approach is got is a vast majority of what happens with that. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I don't know that you can necessarily mind over matter beat something like cancer, but I know if the mind ever gives up, you're done. And I just don't think that's a threat for that guy. Yep. Very well said. All right. Switch gears a little bit. Uh, another big story for me, as we look back on 2019 and I was really ready to just hammer this home and knock it out of the park. And Dave Triplett, 50-year-old Dave Triplett, went and messed it all up. Because prior to that, the three winners of the, the Grand Slam, so to speak, you know, the, the four majors this season, had all been, how old's Peeps? Mid to late 20s? Had all been Peeps Pennington yeah. or younger. Right? We're talking wow. Gage Birch, Hunter Patton, Peeps Pennington. And that's... M- those three alone are a huge story, but that's a microcosm for what you see across the landscape of sports and racing, particularly big dollar bracket racing. I mean, we talked about Casey Pesnell, like that's the extreme, but I just, I, I, I guess that I'm a little bit jaded in the way that I, I look at this because I'm 38 years old and what we just went to the, the NHRA division three banquet last weekend and they had, all of the junior kids were part of the ceremony and they came up and gave their speeches. Shouts to Gage Blevins. Awesome. <laughs> we're going to have him on the podcast one day. I talked a little bit about that, about that pre-show. But I was sitting back there in my chair thinking, I remember that. Like I was that kid and it was just a year or two ago. It was 26 years ago, Jed. <laughs> 26 years ago on the Division Four. Junior Drag Street T Finals. It was me and Erica Enders. We shared a table. Like if you go back to Erica's episode, we talked about that a little bit. I think she won the eight and nine year old class, and I won the 
10 through 12 year old class or whatever it was, right? Wow. 26 years ago. So I still like, I have this vision of myself as still being the punk kid, the new kid on the block. Most of the, I don't want to say most, a lot of the people that are winning these huge races are half my age. It's mm. jarring. And, but it is like the youth movement in sports and drag racing, specifically big dollar bracket racing to me is a story of this year. I know that that's always been prevalent to some extent. It seems more obvious this past season. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree more, Luke. Youth movement definitely makes it look like it's a young man or young woman's game out there. And, and then there's oh, Chet Dragon. And then there's Chet, and then there's Danny Nelson, and then there's True. Dave Triplett. Uh, but still... By all the results, it, it does appear that it's a it's a young person's game, and you know the skills that it takes, the the focus and the energy and the you know ability to withstand some of these marathon type days at the racetrack would definitely lend you lead you to believe that you need to be young to be able to handle that extreme heat and all those things we deal with. But for the most part, I think that a good racer is a good racer. And, you know, if, if somebody's had a few more birthdays, I, I don't think that puts them at a decisive disadvantage by any means. But it, does, it has looked in 2019 like it's more of a young person's game. So, let's, you know, we like to declare a year, uh, the year of. Let's, we would never do such a thing. Let's make 2020 the year of and tie it to our more experienced racers. I don't know what we, how we can phrase that. Let's be selfish about it, Jed. Let's make 2020 the year of the middle-aged drag racer. Oh, no, I fit, <laughs> I fit and I'm in. I love that. <laughs> right in our demographic. <laughs> yeah. Year of the, we're middle-aged, Luke. Wow. All right. I'm um, your senior, so. 10? I'm 48, bro. Okay. Well, I mean, you're young 48. I'll give you that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, all right. You teased it a little bit earlier. Here's the stage. Tell me why Casey Pesnell is the story of 2019. Well, you know, as I've been thinking about this here for, uh, I don't know, about 20 minutes before the show, I'm too close to it. So it possibly seemed bigger to me than it has many others, but I just felt like the entire living, breathing world, racing world, that is, weighed in on this. And, you know, it was obviously a, a major story. But I think what made it so big, Luke, was the historic ramifications of it. It'll never be done again. Our sport, that stage is not going to allow it again. Uh, not in my lifetime, I don't think. So rarely does someone accomplish something often do they accomplish something you don't think will happen again like Jeff Verdi winning both millions in the same year and it by God almost happened again this year a couple times over right yeah you think yeah Randall Reed you, you think about well this can't happen again this will never happen again a 14 year old won a $50,000 drag race where adults were participating and there might be a $50,000 junior race one day where a nine-year-old wins it. 
So I'm not going to say a 14 year old won't ever win 50 grand again. They'll never win 50 grand again on that stage in that environment. It won't happen again. So that's what I think made it so big. Now, on top of that, the way the story got told by people that had absolutely no idea of what happened. It was over and over and over how I read, you know, how he, he and his father lied and they cheated their way into this and they told everyone they were 16. None of that happened. None of it. And I read it so many times. It was sickening. Like, how can that many people be so sure there was a bunch of lies told for that young man to compete on that stage? You know, just give somebody the benefit of the doubt and, and get the fact before you condemn them. So that, I think, made it big. And the other thing that made it the largest or biggest story of the year to me was I feel like it was 90-10 against them. I feel like there was only about 10% of the racing world that thought, no big deal. There's nothing wrong with this. You know, the kid's got talent. He's got ability. He's capable of handling the, the weapon that he's in. But instead, it was, you know, there's no way a 14-year-old belongs out there. And by all means, 99 probably plus percent of 14-year-olds don't belong. The kid's special. He's very special. And he's got abilities that most don't possess, whether they're 14 or, or 48 like me. But, you know, the fact that it seemed like everyone was against him, just tearing him down and destroying what that young man accomplished to where he couldn't even enjoy it was, to me, what made it such a huge story. You know, whether they were right or wrong, everyone was so hell-bent on their opinion of how it all shook out instead of gathering the facts and just seeing it for what it was. Was it a mistake? I still to this day say it shouldn't have happened. A 14-year-old boy shouldn't have been out there competing on that stage just by the description of it. Now, Casey Pesnell is not your average 14-year-old, and I was confident and comfortable in his ability to go out and do it. But I think to me, what made it such a big story was that the way it just got categorized as, you know, a lying kid with a lying father and just some punk kid out there in a dragster competing. I get how it could look that way, but just stop and gather the facts and, and see what really happened because it was nothing like that. So to me, I think that that's what made it the biggest story of the year for me was the amount of attention it got, how negative it was and how it just totally, totally overshadowed what was a history making moment in our sport. Yeah, you're right. In the moment, without question, this was the biggest topic of the year because it's such a polarizing issue. And also to your point, I mean, I don't want to sweep this under the rug, this would have been a big deal 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, right? No one at, not that it would be a 50 grander at that time frame, but one of the biggest events of the season and a 14 year old beats grown men and women to win it. That's a huge story. It's different in 2019, right? With basically, and in, in, at least in, in our sport, the advent of social media, everyone has a platform 
And as you mentioned, the, I'll say the disease of our time is that within that platform, everyone has convinced themselves that they're right. You know what I mean? This is my opinion and I'm not afraid to share it. And because I've got this platform to share it, it must give some credence to it. And, and we all, I, I mean, I like to think I've got some equanimity, but I'll just categorize us all in, in saying that we just dig in our heels with this. Like as a nation, we are very uncompromising and, and not open to even hear the other side. Like if you disagree, you're just an idiot. And that escalates everything. And this was certainly the, the firestorm of our season. I was going to go a different direction here. And I'll make my, my argument, Jed, for the story of the year when we look back on this five or 10 years from now. But here's the reason, and I'll go a little bit different direction than you did. Here's the reason why I'm probably wrong. This is probably the story of the year. It feels like it in the moment. And the reason that it probably will be five or 10 years from now is that I think there's a pretty good chance that one of two things happen going forward, if not both of them. The first, that Casey Pesnell continues to be awesome and just continues to elevate his game. And 10 years from now, we talk about him like we talk about Justin Lamb today. Or maybe, who knows, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not even going to put a ceiling on what the kid's capable of, right? And when we do that, assuming that 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 happens and his trajectory continues, I don't care if it's 10 years from now, 20 years from now, like, that'll be part of the myth of Casey Pesnell. Like, yeah, he's an eight-time NHRA world champion. And you remember when he was 14? He won a 50-grander? Like, people are always going to remember that if, <laughs> if he continues that ascension, right? Always going to talk about that. Or, and maybe and, I think that there's a, a significant possibility, like you said, that this will never happen again. And you're right, unless the rules change. And in other forms of motorsports, you don't have to be 16 to compete. And they accommodate that. And I don't know that that's necessarily on the horizon. I don't feel like it's on the horizon anytime soon. But the argument, if this comes up 20 years from now, hey, should we lower the minimum age for our sport? Here's exhibit A as to, yeah. Like right now I can make an argument. You remember in 2019, Casey Pesnell proved you could do it at 14. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? For that reason alone, I could see us looking back on this in the future as sort of this set the precedent. Yeah. You know, uh, based on the reaction that, that I saw, I can't believe that large a voice will ever let a sanctioning body believe that they're making the right decision by letting younger no, and you may be right. I can't imagine that happening soon. But so I did hear some valid points made that, like in circle track racing and other forms of motorsport, like you can be really young and compete with. Oh yeah, and they're wrecking each other on purpose, Luke. <laughs> they're, they're, they get pissed off and they wreck one another, but they let twelve, thirteen-year-old girls do it. And no, not that the girls are less have less ability than the boys, but I'm just saying, you know, it's, it, that's just how they do it in other forms of motorsport but who hasn't heard the story of scotty richardson starting as a teenager and and beating the grown man sure who hasn't heard the story of peter starting as a teenager a young teenager and beating grown men luke bogacki doing it bones many many of our sports better racers started at that age and raced with grown men hell luke you snuck around and did it for sure. And I'm, I'm not tearing you down here. I thought it was a great story. I thought it was a wonderful story. Never heard any. I haven't seen any blowback from that. 
because it was a different time. But now all of a sudden, you know, cars go four nineties and four eighties. So now we can't allow it. You know, it's, it's, you had to lie and cheat to, to break those rules to do it. So it's odd to me how he was just torn down so bad over that. But it was again, the narrative of, of how it happened, and which was false. Sure. To our, uh, to our listener that's hearing our recap of this and they like, well, you missed this point, missed that point. Go back and listen to the episode where we actually talked about this. We gas bagged on this for two hours. We didn't miss any points. We, <laughs> if, if we missed him, it was just because we ran out of breath. So again, go back, listen to that. Jed, on my pushback here, and I mentioned this in passing earlier, to me, uh, the biggest story of 2019, and this again kind of depends on where the sport goes from here, because if this is just another stepping stone and this isn't the peak, and all indications right now are that this is not the peak, then 2019 will not stand out in this way. But to me, it is just absolutely remarkable the elevation of the purses in big dollar bracket racing. And it's come to a head this year. And and I'll count it as 2019 just in that there have been the announcements like it's going to happen to guaranteed millions in 2020, which again leads me to believe that this is just going to continue to escalate and elevate and 2019 will just be a bump on that road. But when was the first million? 96? I think 96 was the year, yeah. Since that time, there has mainly been one, sometimes two, never more than two races on the calendar that boasted a winner's purse of $200,000 to $250,000 plus to win. In 2019, there were four. Those of you that are mathematically challenged, that's twice as many as there's ever been before, ever. And they all succeeded. Yeah. I mean, and not just succeeded, like they were all home runs. With, wow, the, with yes. the possible exception of the original million, which I think was more weather related than anything. But oh, by far. The Spring Fling Million, largest Spring Fling Million ever. The SFG 525, outside of like Norwalk's Halloween Classic, probably the biggest damn drag race ever. I've never seen anything like it, right? That's crazy. The Fall Fling Bristol sold out in three minutes. Three minutes. (laughs) 400 plus. It was oversold. 400 plus racers ready to pony up that kind of money to race for a $500,000 purse. And then the original million, like we say, wasn't a record year, but there was a lot working against that. And it wasn't a failure. Like that race succeeded. It will will happen again, obviously, in in 2020 and, and beyond. And if you had told me that, A, there are going to be four of those races in one year, I'd have said, you are out of your mind. Like, as little as three years ago, I would have told you you're out of your mind. And up until – because we had talked about this early in the season on the podcast, and, and I had come to the conclusion, like, you know what? Not only are these four races going to happen, like, I think they're all going to work. But if you had told me – a year and a half ago, there's going to be four of these and they're all going to survive and nobody's going to lose money? No way. Right? And it just speaks to where we're at in the sport. Like I, I, again, would argue to some extent that we've let the expenses get carried away to the point that you have to race for big money to justify it in a lot of instances. And long term, I don't know that that's a good thing, but the economy right now is certainly supporting it. And I just never thought we would be here. I, I'm not sure I'd, I thought I would see this in my lifetime, much less elevate and escalate as quickly as it has. 
and it does not look like the end is anywhere in sight. Yeah, Luke, not much I can add to that other than I've been racing since 1984. That wasn't even a dream to race for a million dollars. It wasn't even a dream to race for a million dollars in a season, much less than one race. So, you know, it is amazing and unbelievable what uh, these promoters are willing to to gamble to try to have these major events. I mean, SFG is now obviously 1.1 million uh, guaranteed. Uh, the Great American is a million dollars guaranteed. Think about that for a second, Jed. You and I. It's crazy. What, uh, a little over five months from today, we are going to stage up in a race in which the winner gets one million dollars <laughs> yeah you know i guess i haven't really slowed it down and, and compartmentalized it or whatever that way but uh wow. let's slow it down again one million yeah dollars yeah uh i mean it's incredible wow. Luke. it, it yeah. really is uh you know what and you you can't let yourself believe that it'll ever be any bigger you know you can't there's just no way it only can back up from here, but I don't know. Tells me. Yeah, I, I tend to believe that because it's escalated so far so fast. But like we've talked about here before, when you look at the winner's purses specifically in our sport, since I was introduced to it, and for as long as like I, I consider myself a, a bracket racing historian, right? So at least to my knowledge, for as long as there's been bracket racing, purses have plateaued. They've never gone back down. No. Maybe this will be a first, right? I, I guess history is bound to rewrite itself. But we've never seen like purses increase over time and then again plateau for a time. But we've never seen them come down. Like somebody guarantees a 50 grander and then you might not see but a couple of 50 granders a year for the next 10 years. But they don't go away. And then somebody comes along and it's a 100 grand to win. Who knows? Ten years from now, we might be racing for five million. We might not unload for a million. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. I guess we'll see. But that is a huge story, and you know, it's probably not getting the traction this time of year that it it still deserves. But if people just stop and think, just the way you just slowed that down and broke it down, if people just stop and think about that, it is a major story for 2020 and you just can't wait to see how they play out and talk about them and build up and all that stuff well for 20 years jed because i know you've answered this question the exact same way that i have somebody comes to you at work or on the golf course oh you race is there any money in that and so immediately the go-to is always well we do have a race once you it's million dollar race and their eyes light up. And then you quickly have to preface it by saying, but it's not, it's not really a million-dollar race. It's based on the number of cars that come. It's still a lot of money, but it, it pays like 200 grand, 300 grand, somewhere in there to win. And then, and then it gets cut up. No, you can't say that anymore. Well, in May, I'm going to go to Memphis. I'm going to run a race that pays a million dollars to win. Now, it's going to get cut up, but it pays a million dollars to win. It's literally – I think it's safe to say that the, the purse will be double – anything that's ever been paid out before <laughs> yes it will you know every every time i leave go to a big race and i at one of these major events you know I, my, my boss when i get back on monday he says did you get the big check and to this 
day I've had to say no. You know, I've never won one of these uh, huge races, anything more than $20,000. But one day, Luke, one day I'm going to walk back in that office on Monday with a big old check like that. Jed, let say, yes, I got it. I know that you love your job, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that if you won that specific big check, you might not tell them on Monday. Yeah. Might take a day or two. Like, yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, I could, uh, <laughs> I could skip Monday. Uh, if, if I was to do something like that. Now, you know, I've been investing in my 401k since January 1st of 1990. So split goes right. You know, I, there's a chance. Yeah. I want right. to go back up any Monday. I mean, I, I That's where I was going to go, but I, I figured your boss might be listening. So I thought I better press it. I, just <laughs> I don't him think he off. listens. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Uh, definitely something I would have to consider for sure. All right. On that note, let's switch gears from the biggest story of 2019 to the most impressive driver. And we'd made some Facebook posts and, and I guess it's easy to kind of lump the two together for the purpose of discussion. I think it's easier to separate them, right? Because in the stories that we just shared, we didn't really talk a whole lot about individual achievement, individual accomplishment. And that's where we go now with, you know, essentially like the driver of the year when we look back on 2019. And I find this interesting in this specific season, Jed, because we've basically gone through this exercise, this episode, so to speak, on the podcast uh, since we started doing this. Certainly, I, I remember vividly the last two years. And in each of the last two seasons, the quote-unquote driver of the year was fairly unanimous. In 2017, it was Nick Hastings, and there was little argument. In 2018, there was Kenny Underwood, and there was no argument, right? That was, without question, the, the most impressive performer of the season. This year, I don't think it's nearly as obvious. I think you could easily make an argument for at least a half a dozen different competitors across the sportsman drag racing landscape. Yeah, I agree, Lou. You know, the, the, the winning was big, real big, and, and there's one guy that – had his name tied directly to the finals and the two largest races of the year and had a pretty darn good year outside of that. So I think we would tend to lean that way. But when you just sit back and think about all of the racers that had amazing years, what Danny Nelson accomplished was amazing, really. I mean, 64 years old in a, in a go fast class. I mean, it is, it is, I was about to say ridiculous, but ridiculous in a good way, what that class has turned into in the last couple of years, if not two to four years. But Danny Nelson winning top dragster is a major story and a major accomplishment, especially the streak that he went on to get it done. So think about guys like that when you're reflecting on 2019 uh, you think about guys like peep show won the spring fling million then comes out to montgomery and just about gets it done again with a with a semifinal finish uh, again something i talked about earlier that i didn't think would ever we'd ever see again but we're going to see it i can tell it's going to happen we're going to see that again it don't seem like it's going to be in the distant future and then uh, you're going to talk about a couple of guys here i'm sure as well that 
are, were major stories. But for me personally, I just have to lean towards Ezel. So, you know, if we just looked at what his cut of the races were from 2019, I don't think he's going to have the the largest amount of money, but I don't look at it in terms of money, uh, more so just continuous winning. And Ezel did it on some really big stages, obviously runnered up a race that paid $525,000, you know, won a 50 grander, won 20 granders, 30 granders, did it coast to coast for the most part, all over the country, just shows up and wins and had easily, I believe, his best year. And he's had a year where he won the million in Montgomery, but still had his best year this year. So for me, the the best performance of the year, Luke, was Johnny Ezel. Yeah, I was going to go a different way. It's hard to argue with Ezel, though. And to your point, I mean, I, <clears throat> I think there's a difference between the most successful season and the most lucrative season. But yep. Johnny is at or near the top of both of those lists. Yep. I mean, to, to your point, he, he did run her up to Gage Birch in the, the richest race of the season. So I'm sure that the cut of that was hefty. You follow that up, I think it was the very next weekend, that $50,000 win at Dallas, which was just part of this amazing string where I think he won two other 10-granders within that eight-day span or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, he started the year with a $30,000 win at Vegas and everything else just kind of runs together, but it's not like you, you didn't hear from him the rest of the year. I mean, he was in finals, like you said, coast to coast. Hard to argue that. And if you hear his supporters tell it, he basically had his name on the $30,000 check in Bristol when his car uh, <laughs> well, sure. I mean, he, that was a race he was winning and they did that to keep him from winning. So they even got to find ways to throw him out just to keep him from winning. That's how good a season he had. <laughs> can you, I mean, that was obviously, we <laughs> talked about how it was an, an abbreviated firestorm. It was definitely a firestorm. Could you imagine if you 10 X that and it happened the day prior? No, <laughs> I, mean, no I can't imagine. Yeah, that would probably, as goofy a story as it is, would probably be the story. Of the year. <laughs> I'll give a couple other nominees. Allison Dahl, your, your stock eliminator world champion. I know that we've said this before on the podcast, but there has never been, when Kevin McKenna was on with us, he verified this, in all the years of NHRA sportsman category competition, with the exclusion of competition eliminator and the alcohol classes, where there's fewer cars and uh, if you've got a performance advantage, it is, it, there is a path to domination. Okay, so from super stock down, that's super stock, stock, all the super categories, top dragster, top sportsman, there has never been, in the history of NHRA sportsman competition, a driver that has run the table on the divisional side. And Allison Dahl did just that this year. You get to claim five divisional events for your points total. Allison Dahl won five divisional events. I mean, what we look back on as the most dominant season in sportsman racing history, true sportsman racing, is Peter Biondo's season in Stock Eliminator. I don't know the year. I should have done more homework. But he put up like 780 or some ridiculous number. It was literally, I think he was, 
I think he had six or seven wins of the eight total that you can claim between five divisionals and, and two national or three national events. But his divisional score wasn't perfect. He claimed a semi, which I think was the biggest blemish on his record. As crazy as that sounds, right? Yeah. You just think of it, you get 105 for every win. So the perfect season in, a, in an eight-race season would be 840. I think he had – it was north of 780. That wasn't as dominant on the divisional side as what Allison Dahl did this year. That's really, really impressive. And she became the first <laughs> female stock eliminator world champion. Her and her husband, Doug, are the first uh, couple, you know, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Married couple to have both won NHRA world championships. The crazy part about that, I'm pretty, Doug did it in competition eliminator. I'm pretty sure his divisional score was perfect too. So if you're in wow. that house, not only do you win championships, you just, uh, watch my French, you just dominate. Okay. <laughs> You just kick the, you just dominate. So, so yeah, Allison Dahl on the short list for, for nominees. You mentioned Ezel. I'll put Ray Ray Miller in there as well. The way that he started the season, he win three, I think he was in, I think he had three wins and a runner up at the first five super comp races he went to. And that's just a class. You don't, you don't do that, right? You don't dominate like that. He won the first four NHRA division two races that he attended. The only thing that kept him from joining Alley on the, the perfect streak was a, a red light with like six cars remaining in Rockingham, or he would have done the same thing. And he would have been all in the same division. Mm. Just a really impressive season. And I think to me, what makes it even more impressive for the, than it would typically be to put up the year that Ray Ray did and, and win the Super Comp World Championship was that the bulk of that was all done before the end of March. And with that, obviously it's a good feeling to win that early, but with that carries a pretty significant burden of pressure the rest of the way, because you're supposed to win the world from April on, especially for someone like Ray Ray who had been close so many times and come up just short. Like that's a big burden to carry in a lot of cases. And he just rolled out. He had some issues mid season motor related really where he just, wasn't able to, to compete and he just rolled back out in September and picked right back up one that uh, doubled up. In fact, at the points made a lot, super gum, super gas. And that's the other part that makes his season so impressive. I think he ends the year ranked third in super gas points as well. So a world championship and a top three finish in the two categories that you're running multiple wins throughout the season, just really impressive year for Ray Ray as well. You mentioned Danny Nelson, the one that we didn't touch on, in the bracket ranks is Chris Bayer. We talked about him a lot this year. And he's just kind of the quiet, goes unspoken, goes about his business. Always been a good racer. Never put together a season like this on this stage. And that dude won 10s, 20s, 50s. Like it was nobody's business. Like he was just walking to the, taking the garage, taking the garbage to the curb. You know what I mean? It was no big deal. I just, uh, yeah, yeah, went one, one, two last weekend. It was cool. It was fun. Yeah. And look, I, I'm not sure that, that bear gets the opportunities that some of those other household names get. Right. Uh, I just don't think he's able to, to get out or chooses not to get out and travel so much and, and put so many miles on the, the rig to get to and from. So I think he's doing it on less opportunities, which is even more impressive. Yeah. And, Long car, short truck, 
like whatever. He just got it done all season uh, on the biggest stages. Uh, so his name definitely deserves to be in the mix here. Uh, another one that I'll bring up is another NHR world champion. That's Jeremy Mason, uh, your super gas world champion, which we talked on before. Like it's such a cool story for a number of reasons, right? I mean, he, the, his, his wife brings their baby daughter into the world. What? a week and a half before he clinches the world championship. That does that. that that's, that's a pretty good, pretty good week and a half, right? Life doesn't get better than that. Yep. And as we talked about before him winning super gas in the vehicle that he won super gas in, which is arguably the coolest car in the class, at least for my money, but it's not your stereotypical 2019 super gas car. It's a 2,800 pound Chevy two that doesn't run huge speed. And he just went out there and showed, like, no, this is this is bracket racing. This is what sports and racing is all about. You don't have to have the fastest car. You don't have to have the lightest car. You might have the coolest car. Um, yeah, you get in it and shut a door behind you. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's pretty, pretty rare. Pretty rare in, in, in and of itself. Winter circle. So, and what stood out to me, and I, I guess this is fresh on my mind because I was literally sitting beside Jeremy at the Division Three banquet just a few nights ago, is that it was just, this is 2019, I believe it was five years ago, I think it was 2014, that Jeremy claimed the IHRA Quick Rod World Championship. And I was just thinking in my mind, like, that's, that's a really unique accomplishment to have, now obviously it's not even possible. I don't, you can't really win an IHRA World Championship. I guess you can through the, the bracket ranks. Right? Those are still classified as IHRA World Champions. But that's three a year, four a year. And I, I just got to thinking back over time, like he's on a really short list of drivers that have accomplished that NHRA world championship, IHRA world championship. This brings about a unique version Jed, of trivia time because I say unique. I don't even know if you can have trivia time when you don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. And I, I purposely didn't try to research the answers because I was thinking I could get it right, but I'll, I'll pitch this to you. How many drivers have won championships in both sanctioning bodies? I've got my answers. I've, I've actually got seven that I'm 99% sure of, a couple of more that I'll throw in, but I'm fairly confident that I'm missing like half of them. I think the actual number is probably double that, but I'll pose it to you. And again, like I have no way to prove that you're right or wrong, but drivers that have won in both sanctioning bodies. Well, I have... I'm bad at this type of stuff, and I don't have a, a very long list. Couldn't think of many. And um, in true fashion, true podcast fashion, didn't do any research on it because I didn't want to pull some name out of the hat that everybody know I cheated on. So We expect nothing uh, less. <laughs> I would assume Scotty's done it. Yes. I, think Scotty Scotty won. I know he's won plenty on the NHRA side, but I thought I remembered him winning IHRA. I think it was top um, drags through a few days, probably a decade ago now. But yes, he definitely has won that. Which would make me think Edmund's done it. I don't believe that's the case. Edmund only really pursued IHRA for a year or two, and I don't think he won a championship. Obviously, there's several on the NHRA side. I could be wrong, but I do not believe he's got an IHRA world championship. Bertozzi? Yes. Anthony has whatever it is, 16, 17, 74 IHRA World Championships and one NHRA uh, World Championship in Superstock, yes. Troy Williams Jr.? No NHRA World Championships for T-Dub. Okay. I wasn't sure there. Got it on the IHRA side, though, yep. And then um, after that, Luke, I, I pretty much ran out of uh, ran out of names. I mean, I, 
again, I'm, I'm not IHRA history. I'm not real good at, I'm not good at either of them, but I just, I don't really know much about the IHRA side. So, okay, so I, I knew I was going to perform poorly here. We'll check Jeremy Mason off the list. I would say after Jeremy, there were three obvious ones. You got two of them. Third, we actually opened the show talking about. Open the show talking about Elrod. I don't think we've well, even no, we talked about him off air. We Jacob Elrod on this show. Looked at his car at the PRI. Okay. <laughs> no, we we did that off air. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I don't even know what you said to start the show. So, <laughs> David Rampey would be the other obvious one. Oh, Rambo. Oh my yeah, goodness. Right. Yeah. Couple in the uh, ninety categories, I believe nine ninety and ten ninety in uh, IHRA back to basically start his career. In addition to multiple competition eliminator NHRA championships as well as one in super comp. I don't think there's any other classes that, that David has won on the NHRA tour, but definitely at least two uh, IHRA to go in addition with, I think it's five NHRA world championships for Rambo. The others that I came up with, Kevin Brannon that did it in IHRA top dragster. Uh, I think the year before he did it in NHRA super comp. Uh, so mm. I think that was back to back for KB Nick Folk has i believe three nh i'm sorry three ihra world championships in stock maybe two in stock one in top dragster could be wrong there and then his nhra title in super comp i'm going way back in time because he was the first that i knew of at least in my generation to pull it off and this is a name that we haven't heard in a decade plus but john vineyard back years ago won an nhra and an ihra 990 world championship i want to say in back-to-back years but that may be off but within like a five-year span he won on both sides and i thought it was the most impressive thing ever in the moment that was impressive you you putting that on the list without thank you that's good stuff yeah i'll throw out some other possibilities you mentioned jacob elrod i think you're right i obviously i know he's won the nhra super gas crown i think like since the runoff days i want to say that jacob won Maybe it was an 890 title in IHRA, but I wouldn't swear to that. So he's one that's questionable. Like, I, I, I think he did it, but I'm not a, I, I don't specifically remember it. Uh, another one that I don't specifically remember, but it wouldn't surprise me if it happened. This year's NHRA Top Sportsman World Champion, Sandy Wilkins, was a standout on the IHRA Tour for decades. I don't remember him winning a championship, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if he did. I want to say Kevin Helms. I know he's got three NHRA World Championships. I want to say he might have gotten one in IHRA in Superstock. Again, could be wrong. And the one that I know I'm right about, but it is, it's a little bit of a, of a different way to go about it, is super tough Mike Ruff. Was your NHRA Summit Series Super Pro World Champion, I believe, the first year they ever did it, and has also won an IHRA World Championship in the 990 category. What about Fuzz? Never got, a, never got an NHRA championship. Been close. Niche, okay. Yep. Mm. Boy, so, that's hard. Yeah. So we'll throw that out to the listeners because we don't know the answers. Like I say, I'm, I'm of great certainty that the seven we ran off were right. I mentioned some other thoughts, but I can neither confirm nor deny. You guys set the record straight. Let us know. I would imagine we, – we named seven for sure. I would, I would guarantee that 10 people have done this. And I would say the number is probably – north of 12 maybe 15 somewhere in there so let us know who we missed yeah so 
so back to the the bracket. Oh race. yeah, what were uh, we talking about? Yeah, so we were talking about you know the the driver of the year category or or best performance of the year. So all right, so Ezo gets your vote, right? Ezo gets my vote. Okay, it's hard to go against the one that we haven't talked about, uh, and and those of you listening are like, this is this is conspicuously absent. Yeah, how um, they lead this guy out. I think he'll get my vote, and that's Matt Dadis. You talked about from the story side of it. Matt obviously owned the, or Matt's family owns the truck that Gage Birch won the SFG 525 in. Matt then returned to Bristol, what, three months later, in the other race that paid half a million dollars and advanced to the final round of that as well. He, he fell in that final round to Hunter Patton. That, in another, that is a big story for the season. You know, that, that, that one young man was so closely tied to the two richest events of the season. But that's not the reason that Matt Dadis would get my vote for the most outstanding driver of 2019. It's the total body of work because, and Matt's been, like, he's one of the, the young drivers that I think all of us looked at as having a ton of potential for several years. And it's come together in spots but it's funny when things come together and the momentum starts rolling. That stretch that Matt Dadis got on, I think he kicked it off really at the fall fling. Um, he had had a solid season prior to that, but we discussed it here on the podcast. I think it was six to seven consecutive events where he advanced to finals, most of which he won. And we're talking five granders, 10 granders, 20 granders. We're talking top bulb, bottom bulb. I think there's quarter mile mixed in multiple different race cars at that level of competition in the parody that's out there today. I say, I guess if you went full season, like I, I, I'm not disputing the argument for Johnny Zell, but what Matt Dadis accomplished this year, I think gets the nod for my money as your driver of the year. Yeah, nor can I dispute uh, Matt, you know, having, especially that's near and dear to my heart. Obviously he's a bottom bulber. He, he comes to the, to the bigger foot break, no box events, which, you know, I tend to lean towards those guys anyway. And then to accomplish what he accomplished as a car owner in one, which takes, you know, doesn't give you any points toward your, your driving year, but he totally, showed his ability and and I guess validated his place on this list with the accomplishments that he had himself on the track so I uh, can't argue with that uh, the, the two biggest races of the year he stands in the winner's circle in some capacity at both of them with a with a direct tie to it so like you said winning 10 granders on the top uh, $7,500 races on the bottom and doing that week after week and that stretch, that amazing six, eight week stretch he had, I definitely couldn't argue with Matt. That was, that's a guy that I, I like a lot. I really enjoyed hanging out with him every time I have. And I know how humble he is and how his approach is just so laid back and, you know, really admire the way that he goes about his business that that makes me want to see him be number one on this list too while i picked these l just for sheer accomplishments that he had 
when you sit back and look at what the year Matt had, it's you couldn't argue that, or you you couldn't debate that that there was a better season than that. I mean, it, it truly was an amazing season. So I will, um, I'll just do it right here, Luke. I'll just say that's that's a great pick, and and I will you you've, you've turned me. You've, You're gonna acquiesce? I thought we were gonna have a like a virtual arm wrestling match to determine our our BTE driver of the year. Yeah, we we were scheduled to do this off air and you know basically i know you was going to win anyway so i'm just going to give in I, i'm kidding i know folks don't think luke bullies anybody because he doesn't he lets us all have our opinion but i mean when you sit back and look what he's done how could you argue that that was an incredible incredible season and you know no offense to johnny but matt did it in several different vehicles types of vehicles and some of them were again inconspicuous you know it's not what everybody tries to take to the racetrack and he makes it really good and drives it really good i don't know man after 2019 the starfire is gonna make a comeback <laughs> you see 50 year, of them out there next the year, year of the starfire maybe it's not the year of the middle-aged racer maybe it's the year of the starfire can we find a middle-aged racer in a starfire <laughs> matt let me uh, do that thing one time yeah let, let's work something out here so no, you've, swayed to your, you've swayed me okay no i to your point i've mentioned this before like when we did the uh, the all-state debates and things like that the, the tiebreaker for me always tends to be versatility and i wouldn't put it past johnny i think he could win in a wheelbarrow he could, i'm sure he could win off the bottom i just hadn't seen him do it and matt's won in a variety of different ways so if there's a tiebreaker it goes to that in Johnny's defense, we talked about how this is the first year that we felt like driver of the year wasn't necessarily cut and dry. And I'm not going to pretend to remember everybody that had great accomplishments in 2017 or 2018, but I'll go out on a limb and say, we're obviously placing Johnny here as a, I don't know, I even want to say number two as a, as a 1A or a 1B. I think if you took Nick Hastings off the table in 2017 and Kenny Underwood in 2018, it's very possible that Johnny Zell is recognized as the second best driver of the year in each of the last three seasons. That's pretty incredible. Very incredible. Right. And, and he's widely regarded as the best in the business. Yeah, I shouldn't Wait. say the best driver of the year, the, the second most successful driver of the season in each of the last three seasons. Right. Yeah. Because the way Johnny does it is not, it's quite a bit different than the way the other greats in our sport right now are doing it. I mean, Johnny, you mean a, when Peter Biondo's opponent goes red, he doesn't go six under every time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Johnny's got six, seven in the bag. His opponent knows it. And everybody's got this strategy that, you know, there's no way he can do that on me. But he does it different ways. He'll start kicking it at the 330 cone or he'll make you think he's fixing to leg it and he's got his spot. He can do it different ways. He's just unbelievably talented and bold and aggressive and you know that's something we're not seeing a ton of in our sport right now we're we're seeing no, it's trending the other direction you're yeah, right we're seeing holders but there is that number is getting less and less and johnny's is is maintaining a a, a pretty big number and he's making it work so um uh, he's know, a hell of a driver i know that we're running long i got a little story time on, on that just to hammer home your point 
because I, I've heard recently, and there's always rumblings of whoever's winning is, is, is cheating, right? But I've, I've heard some stuff, ah, Johnny's up to this, Johnny's up to that. And far be it from me, like, I, look, I don't have a dog in this hunt one way or the other, but let me say this. <laughs> Johnny and I ran uh, at Memphis at Brits Race in September. And whatever, I'm paired up with Johnny. God knows what he's doing over there, right? Like, But I'm just going to make a good lap. That's kind of my go-to strategy against just about anybody, but particularly somebody that is going to absolutely confuse me if I try to play his game, right? So yep. I can go a couple thousandths under. I'm going to be double O and try to go dead on. And we leave the starting line, and I literally looked at the oil pressure gauge because I'm like, there is no way he should be way out there, right? And he was. I had oil pressure. Okay, I thought I hit the tree pretty good, but let's just see what happens here. And so I got to kill my couple thousands, and he is just steady driving away, like not ripping into me early, just, I mean, way out in front. And I thought, well, just be disciplined and kill a couple thousands, and I do. And he just anchors off, and we go through the finish line, and I'm pretty sure that he let me buy him, and my wind light comes on. But it all happened so quick, and he was holding so much, and he was so far in front, that I was like, I, I'm not really sure what just happened, right? But, but I won. Cool, right? We make the turn. Keep in mind, we have not gotten our time slips yet. I've been doing this for 20 years, and I like to think I'm pretty good at it. I cannot tell you what just happened, other than my wind light came on and I was dead on, right? And he was under, but I just assumed he was late, because I literally thought that I got there first. And uh, we make the turn, and he goes, I guess you missed it too. I go, I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> And he said, well, I was late, but I thought I had a little bit of room and I tried to sneak in there, but obviously you, you were a little bit better on the tree. I just kind of looked at him and I'm like, man, I got there first, right? You know, I didn't say that because I didn't want to sound stupid. Now, I didn't want to sound stupid to one person. Now I'm going to sound stupid to thousands, right? I get my ticket and he was 20. He missed it just like he said he would. And he got there first, two thousandths of a second, down 20 something mile an hour. And I'm telling you, killed it all in like 12 feet. And knew it. Jed oh, knew it. Goodness. I had no idea who got there first. He did. And I'm mm. just telling you that he may not do it in a conventional way, but that dude is a unique talent. And that's all I can say. Yeah, no doubt about it. So I guess uh, I know we had different plans for the BT Who's Hot Driver of the Year, but let me just go ahead and 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 just announce that. Let's Commemorate it. Make it let's, official. Let's just do it. So, guys, the first thing I want you to know is the fo the uh, the folks at BT or the the sponsor of the the Who's Hot each and every podcast. But this is the the Who's Hot of the Year award, and um, we want to say thanks to BT and and tell you their staff is selected straight from the racing community, whether it's sales or manufacturing. Each member of that staff at BT is a performance enthusiast. Those guys love racing as much as we do. They've got multiple world championships in the house. They've got tons of number one qualifiers. They offer you expert professional technical advice that will help your racing operation. So check out that staff directory. Their commitment to your success is definitely part of their own. So I think the cat's out of the bag, Luke. The BT Who's Hot Racer of the Year is none other than the lovable Matt Dattis. So Matt. Congratulations. Uh, you know, it's been said to you probably thousands of times this year, but unbelievable season. 
you performed at an extremely high level and accomplished something that, again, I, I'm not trying to go all history on you here again, but Matt truly accomplished something being that tied directly to those two finals that we might not see again for quite some time. We might see it next year. I don't know, but it was uh, it was an amazing story, amazing year, top bulb, bottom bulb, whether it's a super stock style Camaro or a Starfire or anything else that you got in issued, you performed very high and, and accomplished a lot this year. So enjoy it and congratulations for being the 2019 BTE Who's Hot Racer of the Year. Like that was a, a great year. No doubt. Congrats, Matty D. All right, let's stop that there. Let's. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap! All right, Luke, it's uh, our What's on Tap um, section of the show, or segment of the show, but um, obviously we're uh, about a week or so from Christmas, so there's not any racing on tap. Christmas is on tap, so we hope everyone has a Merry Christmas, but if you're looking for the ultimate Christmas gift and you just haven't got it locked in yet for yourself or your significant other or just anybody, check out that Great American Guaranteed Million. We talked about it just a little bit earlier in the show about part of the the huge schedule for next year, but the uh, Great American Guaranteed Million Dollar Race coming up May the 20th through the 25th, which is Memorial Day weekend at Memphis International Raceway. Uh, it's got some really good stuff happening. Those guys uh, have a 450 entry max, and they are in the 80s left. There's only 80-some-odd entries remaining. So if you want to get in this historic event, uh, you definitely need to check those guys out and secure your spot in the Great American Guaranteed Million. Um, huge purse. Obviously, it's going to guarantee a million dollars to win. Uh, it's um, They've got payment plans for you to be able to do this kind of the easy way and allow yourself to to get that entry paid over a period of time, which is really nice. They've got um, no box that they're going to run separately. Um, they've also got a factory stock showdown. If if you happen to be a factory, I don't think we got a lot of factory stockers checking out the podcast but if oh, you happen here you to be, go again <laughs> underestimating the reach stereotyping of the right. yeah i mean come on <laughs> but if you are a factory stock racer uh, this will probably be your best opportunity to get back some of the significant investment that you have in your hot rod uh, they've got both of you listening enter <laughs> they, they've got a shootout that'll potentially have 32 cars um you know three thousand dollar entry but that's not a lot if you're racing a $150,000 car, 
plus maybe every week or every time you get on the racetrack, potentially pay up to $81,600, which is a very large payday, especially for a, a you know a five-round shootout. So if you're into factory stock, they've got that for you. Surrounding the million-dollar race is the triple 40Ks. So those are big paydays in itself. Tons of sponsorship. More announcements coming on the regular from uh, Britt and Galen. So, again, guys down to 85 or so entries remaining, don't wait. Get yourself in the Great American Million Memorial Day weekend at Memphis International Raceway. Uh, those guys are right there on Facebook. You can check out the Great American Guaranteed Million on Facebook, and you can find out any of the information that you need to get in, or you can just go to Britt Cummings or Galen Rollison directly, find the flyer. Their numbers are on the flyer, and they would love to chat with you about getting in that race. So uh, make sure you keep that one on your schedule. And Luke, other than that, that wraps us up, bud. Episode number 160 of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is coming to a close. And I want to say thanks to the great folks at BTE and the Great American Million for uh, coming on the show and giving us some good sponsors to talk about. And while um, we haven't done shows together a whole bunch this year, it's still my favorite part. Shouts time. Shouts. And I feel the pressure, Jed, because I feel like we're not just wrapping up episode 160. We're wrapping up 2019. Yeah, that's a really good point. So on that note, I've got to shout out the usual suspects. Shouts to Chet Dragon, Chris Garretson, Mike Rice, Cole Castile, Johnny Ezell, Jim Rodcap. Jim Rodcap. (laughs) Who am I leaving out? Oh, a regular shout. I said Chris Garretson, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not regular shouts. We don't really have regular shouts. Yeah. I think you got the regulars. Um, It's specific to this episode, which is this this first comment is not specific to this episode at all i'm going to shout out myself um because i'll be sleeping on the couch for a while those of you that were at the nhra division three banquet know why um in my speech i I called in in the process of trying to say something really sweet about my lovely wife jessica who is the most selfless woman that i know I, i i slipped i didn't say selfless uh, yeah, that was. I, I caught I, it. It was one of those things like I, I didn't catch it in the moment, but I heard myself say it, and I retracted. But if looks could kill, and uh, and I and and the whole room just kind of erupted in in laughter. So yeah, that was of all the things to mess up. Mm. Yeah, that was a rough one. That one hurts. I did That's, that on the podcast once. Really, same yeah. thing. Same thing. Do you remember who it was in reference to? I don't. Eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> probably wasn't my wife um so so it didn't have near the the negative side effects shouts to my wife in all seriousness yeah um speaking of which shouts to my misogynistic co-host jed i i mean you you tried to recover but we got real awkward for a sense today where you said you know they let they let 12 or 13 year old girls do that I was like, oh, God, what road are we going down here? What's the Spiritual Drag Racing Podcast? So shouts to you for, uh, for your recovery there. Uh, shouts to John Vineyard, name from the past. Shouts to Johnny Brackets, of course, again, second time in shout-outs. That might be a record. Shouts to Gage Blevins. 
um, shouts to Allie and Doug's domination of their respective categories and shouts to you big jed just in that last um uh, what's on tap segment shouts to memphis international raceway i do that with gateway all the time because it's worldwide technology whatever <laughs> not memphis motorsports park and i know you wanted to say memphis motorsports park. i got really close to saying and that yes it almost came out <laughs> that's all i got all right well uh, really good shout out uh, session there and and Shouts to the donkey stomp. Um, I, we, we've shouted donkey stomping before. Good um, point. Shouts to anybody with a Pinto. It was your year. You messed it up, but we still shout you. I forgot all about the year of the Pinto. What happened? Brian Hughes almost came through. Yeah, he Brian was, Hughes nearly did it. Yeah. He was in the final at Pomona. It could have been the year of the Pinto. Yeah, he could have totally <laughs> redeemed Pinto. One thou. I think he's one thou red in the final. It was We were one thou away from nailing it, Jed. Mm. You're the pinto. Yeah. Brian, you did your part, bud. Sorry it didn't work out. So, uh, shouts to uh, Matt Dattis for being BT's Who's Hot Racer of the Year. And shout to you, Luke, for collecting the Division Three uh, Super Comp Championship. Yeah, that whole spiel was just a shamelessly self-promote. You know, not, that. That, that didn't get very much attention, but Humble I, know, I know how much is on your plate now. I know people go, man, I wish I had Luke Bogak has got it made, man. He's got that bracket racing elite thing going. He's selling these parts and just working on race cars. That guy's got the life. But I know because sometimes your work schedule is a pain in my ass. So I know it can be a pain in yours. <laughs> uh, I know how hard you work and to go out and accomplish what you did this year and with some limited racing on your schedule was impressive so great job by you again proud of you and proud for you and definitely shout out to producer mark this is a guy who doesn't get any of the spotlight uh you know tirelessly does the things that that we need him to do to help the show at least halfway sound successful if we don't mess it up so shout out to you producer mark romeo appreciate all the work you do and lastly Luke, Luke, you probably was coming in here to to say something there so go ahead uh, so lastly without the people that listen to us gas bag for literally hundreds of hours maybe even thousands to this point with episode 160 without you the listener and our great sponsors there wouldn't even be a show so thank you to all of you folks everybody that's, that's had some sponsorship responsibilities here with us and listeners Thank you so much. We can't thank you enough for tuning in, both of you. We appreciate it more than you know. I uh, love to have a personal relationship with both of you. Honestly, would it, it, it'd be it'd be icing on the cake. But you know, as always, we want to hear from you. Want to want you to tell us what you think. Want you to just weigh in on anything. If there's a subject we didn't cover, if there's something we missed, something we overhyped, whatever, whatever's on your mind. Let us know because we need stuff to think about too. You can message either Luke or myself on Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. Or you can send us a message right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Producer Mark checks those on the semi-regular, and uh, he'll let us know what you're saying and, uh, and let us know what we need to talk about on an upcoming show. 
I didn't realize we were going to wax so sentimental to close this out. But I, I feel like we're, we're signing off from the million all over again. Um, well, you know, life's changing for me. And I understand. I, I, it's an emotional week for me. Uh, very it is. You've got a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, i got a lot happening. So I'm just uh, extra emotional right now. Well, congratulations to you and your lovely bride-to-be. Um, and Jed, you uh, you went out of your way to uh, to say nice things about Mark and I, and I know that we give you a hard time about being the misogynist's co-host. That and we and we always like to to uh, highlight your uh, your mistakes at the end of the shows. That's my personal favorite. But in all honesty, and 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 we give you a hard time about uh, not always being the most prepared. I wouldn't have this any other way. Um, uh, <laughs> what you bring to the show is is unique and uh, unprecedented. And uh, this, quite frankly, I know we don't get the opportunity to gas bag together as often as we once did, but like you, uh, it is my, my favorite episodes are these episodes, and uh, I just uh, I appreciate you and all that you bring to this and everything that you do and to our sport. So you're the man, Chip. Well, I appreciate that. It's great working with you guys. Looking forward to uh, another year in 2020 full of more great people and more great subjects. But until then... That's enough of this shit. Let's get out of here. Have a a great holiday, everybody. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get in it. Attitude like I am already winning it. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, 
This is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.